Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. Please join me as we read His Word, chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who were asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and we do thank you that uh, through it we can know you and know uh, the goodness of Christ, the goodness of the gospel and how we've been saved uh, into a relationship with you. And so we pray, Lord, that as we hear from it now, we'll consider what it looks like to live for you, live for you in light of eternity, knowing that there is an eternity, knowing that there is a future hope for us because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. So we pray for that now in your son's name. Amen. Uh, This last week I came across a a sort of famous doctor. His name is Dr. Mark Hyman. Do you guys know who Dr. Mark Hyman is? Anyone come across that name? It's really strange because he's actually a really big deal in, in the U.S. At least he's got a lot of um, books that he's written, uh, New York Times bestsellers. Uh, he's a bit of a pop culture doctor, you could say. And I really like this quote that he has. Food isn't like medicine. It is medicine. And it's our number one tool for creating the vibrant health we deserve. All right, that's on his website. So he's really big on eating uh, healthy uh, so we can live longer lives. The interview I came across last week, uh, I, I watched of his. He said this. He said, Chronologically, getting older is inevitable, but biologically, getting older is not. Chronologically, getting older is inevitable, but biologically, getting older is not. He says this, he says, I'm going to be 63 next week, but I'm biologically 43. If we eliminated heart disease and cancer from the face of the earth, the number one and two killers, we we could extend life, yes, maybe three to five years. But if we understand the root cause of aging and dealt with what we call the hallmarks of aging, we might extend life by 30 or 40 years. 
or 50 years. He's, he's big on eating well. He's big on preventing disease and biological aging. In 2014, he came up with uh, the Pegan diet. Pegan. So I think that's how you say it. Pe- pagan? Pe- pagan? Pegan? <laughs> it, it takes the principles of the paleo diet and the vegan diet. So a lot of fruit and vegetables. And meat is okay, but meat is more of a side dish. So it just complements the main course. Meat also should be grass-fed and organic. Now, I'm reading all the stuff that he, he's writing about and speaking about, and well, I'm quite interested in this. I mean, I think I need to get onto this diet because I found out that my, my cholesterol levels are creeping up. I'm feeling old, biologically old. You know, and I'm thinking, this is fascinating. Maybe I should get onto this pagan diet. How do you feel like you're in your 40s when you're in your 60s? Now, he probably needs to explain that a bit more to me, where he got that number from, but this is, this is good. This is good stuff. It seems good, sounds good, feels good, might be good. And so I really like what he's doing. And this is good for the medical world. People care about their health, uh, their bodies. And I think he and, I, he, he and I will agree on that, that we do care about having a long and full life, that we want to preserve our lives, we want to prolong our life. But I think he and I would also agree that eventually we all die still, right? However long we live, we're all still going to eventually die. There is prolonging life, but there is no preventing death. And we've all woken up to that reality, haven't we, these last few years? Uh, we've had to mask up, sanitize, social distance. There are people that aren't here today because they got COVID last week. I mean, they don't want to make anyone sick. We know what happens when the more vulnerable get sick. I mean, before the, pandem- before the pandemic, we lived life thinking we were essentially invincible. But this microscopic virus has made us all realize that life is short and death is real, and so we should care about our health. We should care about preserving life, do whatever we can to delay the inevitable, even consider a pegan diet. Pegan? I can't say that word. Pegan diet? And all this is speaking into something, isn't it? We all want to live. And to live means putting our hope in our health, in our diets, in our masks, hoping that we can live just a little bit longer. Yet never truly knowing what tomorrow brings. What if there was a greater hope, though? What if there was a greater hope that we could live by? See, today I want us to discover the beauty of the Christian hope that will give us what we need as we face each day, a hope that speaks of of salvation, a hope that speaks of justice and vindication and goodness and peace and eternal life, that even if death was on our doorstep today, we would have no fear. This this letter, right, this 1 Thessalonians, it's a letter of the Bible. It's been written by Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus, and he encourages this church in Thessalonica, that's why it's the letter to the Thessalonian church, to live out the Christian faith, to live one out of, of love and stand for who Jesus is, stand firm in your faith, stand for, for our God and our King, even in the face of opposition and persecution. Keep going in light of eternity, in light of the death that we might have to face one day. And this, the idea of death, the end times and eternity is precisely what Paul is addressing in this section. Let's, if you have your Bibles open, we're going to go through this passage and I'm going to unpack it for us. So the first, uh, I want to read from uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Jesus will return, he says. Death is not the end. We've got to find comfort in that truth, that those who have fallen asleep, another way of saying death, uh, in him, um, 
means that they will know they'll know life. Those who have fallen asleep in him, those who are essentially Christians who have died, God will bring them life just as he's brought life back to Jesus when Jesus was raised from the dead. This, this language of sleep here is, is actually a quite common way in the ancient world of describing death. Uh, so not only in uh, biblical terms, it is used in the Bible a fair bit, but also in the ancient Greek uh, and Roman world, people who or asleep, or asleep in death, that it was a, it was a, a way to describe that. He's speaking to that con- cultural context. Uh, but there was also, is often used in the Bible, there was a time when a man came to Jesus and begged him. Do you remember the story? It's in chapter 5 of, uh, of Mark's Gospel. A man came to Jesus, begged him to come to his house because this girl, little girl, was sick and dying. Jesus arrived at the little girl's house. By the time he got there, everyone outside was mourning and grieving and, and crying because the little girl had died. In chapter Mark 5:39, Jesus says, I've got it on the screen, I think. He says, he, he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion uh, and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Again, uh, another chapter in, uh, in John chapter 11, uh, his friend Lazarus dies. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, though, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus has used that term asleep to describe death. It's in the Bible. It's often used. And that's what Paul is saying here. When people, uh, those who have died, in the, died who are asleep, uh, but uh, were in Christ, they're going to be raised as well. Now, it might help us to understand uh, how we see this idea of sleep in God's perspective as well. That, that, you know, when we die, we're simply just asleep. It's like this idea where you, know, you, you wake someone up from their sleep. You know, wake up, Jeff. That's what it's like. To God, we're just asleep, not Jeff. The wiggle. That was a reference to the wiggle. And so the Christians in Thessalonica are asking, what happens to those who are asleep, those who have died? Paul leans in on this. He says, well, it's just like we're asleep, and God will wake us up. I like this. He says the world around us, when people die, uh, they, when, we, when people die, it, they have, there's a grief without hope as well. When we think about uh, death, there is grieving. There's, there's nothing else after death. And, and when we think about death, it's, it's, it's natural for many of us to grieve. But he's thinking about the people around them, those who aren't in Christ. Of course, there's a grief without hope. What happens after this life? What hope do we hold on to? You know, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I went online, and I came across this interview with um, Ricky Gervais. He's that famous comedian, British comedian. He was interviewed by Stephen Colbert, and he spoke about how he's... Asked about his athe- he's asked about his atheist views. Um, he's, he's pretty um, uh, strong with his views, and he, he shares it all the time in his, in his, um, on Twitter and everything, and what he thinks about death, right? And he says, well, I don't want to die. I love living. It's the best thing ever to live. But life, for him, is like being a tourist, right? There's 13 billion years that have passed, and he's lucky to live for these 80 to 90 years, and then he's going to go back to being nothing again, never existing, and another 13 billion years will pass. That's how he sees life. He's just lucky to live, make the most of this life, and there's nothing. Like, what do I think about death? Well, it's whatever it was 13 billion years ago. I just didn't exist. So you have to make the most of it. He's got a very optimistic view on life, doesn't he? I'll be lucky to live 80 to 90 years. I love life. I love living. But we're hearing this from a a wealthy, Western, privileged white male. And I, I hear him say this, and I'm like, man, not everyone feels that way about life, the way you do. I imagine for many in the world, and, and there are many, many people who live in poverty, 
people with health issues, people with hardships who would look at life very differently. Is this all that there is to life? I mean, I've heard myself say that. I don't know if you've heard people say that. Is it all that there is to life? Work, eat, sleep, spend your money, work some more, then die. The truth is, on earth, for the atheist, I guess, for someone like Ricky, living for the 80 to 90 years might be the closest to heaven they'll ever experience. But for the Christian, this is really the closest to hell we'll ever be as well. To the atheist, there's this nothingness after death. There is no hope. There's nothing to hope in. Death destroys that hope. But for the Christian, we live with a solid hope that this life is really just the beginning. Let's note that Paul says here about grieving without hope. Paul isn't saying don't grieve at all when people die. Of course we should grieve. That's a real emotion. We feel sorrow and sadness. That Lazarus story that I just read where where Jesus talked about his friend Lazarus dying, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, chapter 1135, it says Jesus wept. He cried tears because he was grieving about his friend that was dead. He still felt it. Even though he was going to raise him from the dead, he still felt it in that moment. We can grieve because death is tragic, losing loved ones is painful, and when those around us are grieving, we grieve with them as well. We sit with them and we walk with them. It's a healing process. But listen to what Paul says. We do not grieve without hope. It's because we grieve with hope, don't we? We grieve with hope. We believe that death is not the end. For the Christian, we too will be raised from the dead. Verse 14 says it. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Jesus, who faced death on the cross, didn't stay dead. Easter is all about that, his death and resurrection. We believe that, don't we? We confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior who died and was risen. And because of that truth, the Christian, we believe too that God will bring with those, with Jesus, those who have died that we will be united with Christ. This is what Christians call union with Christ, that we're spiritually united with him. If he's going to be raised from the dead, we too in him will be raised as well. That's our union with Christ. And the beauty of Jesus' resurrection is that him being raised to life means those who have faith, we have that gift as well. Death is not the end. And as tragic as death is, we grieve, but we grieve with hope, knowing that we too will be raised with Christ. Verse 15 says this, according to Lord, the, Lord's word, uh, the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are all still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. We read this, and it sounds like something quite extraordinary, doesn't it? Something you'd watch in a fantasy science fiction movie. You know, beam me up, Scotty. You know, meet Jesus in the clouds. But let me explain some terminology before we keep going, especially for those who might be new to church. There's this word called eschatology, which means the study of end times. So this is very eschatological in this verse here, thinking about, you know, when when Jesus returns, that's the end times. That's eschatology. Um, When we think about, you know... uh, Maybe in other words, apocalypse, you know, the end times. Um, We have to be careful when we read this type of language in the Bible because it's not necessarily literal, but it's more of a description, metaphorical uh, description of what the end might look like in this sort of sense, uh, metaphorical. Uh, There's another verse in chapter 5 that says the day of the Lord that comes up in chapter 5. It's a referral to when Jesus returns, so the end times. Uh, The second coming, you might have heard that before, the second coming of Jesus. There's a word you'll come across as well called... um, have you heard of the word the rapture? 
I mean, it's really popular in, in, in pop culture and stuff. Uh, it's been adopted really more modern times. It hasn't been around for a long time. It just, they use that word to describe what's happening here in 1 Thessalonians. Christians snatched up, that's where the word we're rapture, snatched up, caught up in the air. Um, Christians will somehow just vanish and we'll be in the air with Jesus, uh, beamed up to the clouds. Everyone else will be left behind. That's the rapture idea. Uh, I do want to say, speaking to that, if you ever heard that word, and many have, uh, I don't think that's what this verse is really talking about, the rapture. I think Paul is using this, this language in a very uh, specific way, this idea of meeting Jesus in the air. It's actually a very metaphorical. Um, the, it says the dead will rise, right? We don't know how. I don't know how the dead will rise, you know, especially if you're decomposed or cremated. I don't know how you're going to rise. But you're going to be given bodies. God will do that in some miraculous, glorious way. He'll give us glorious heavenly bodies, uh, as described in other parts of the Bible. But listen to this. It says, a loud trumpet sound. An archangel will announce this. And the Lord will be coming down. And so you've got this big picture of grandness, don't you? Like there's a big announcement being made and Jesus is coming down from the heavens. The picture of grandness, a procession really, with the king coming down to meet with his people. For Paul and the people in his time, the Thessalonians, this is actually familiar language. We've got to remember the context of where he's writing into. Think about the Roman Empire back then. Back in those, back in those days when a king, emperor, or a, or, a, or a military victor, right, came back from war or came back from, you know, from, from battle to the city, the people would actually go out to meet that victor, the king. They would go out of the city gates to meet them halfway and then welcome them back into the city. That's how things were done back then. They'd go out and welcome them back you know, from, from where, with, with this grand procession of loud music, like a trumpet sound and celebration. And that's the picture we have here. When Jesus returns, there'll be a loud announcement. The world will know. God's people will meet with Jesus and welcome him to rule and to reign. A picture of victory and triumph at the second coming. God's people, dead or alive, will be caught up in this procession and usher in his ce- this celebration. This hope we cling to in this life will be met with his grand celebration. Isn't that beautiful? So we can point each other to this truth, can't we? When we're grieving, when we're, we're, we're struggling with the, the, the realities of death, this future hope, when we're gr- like things are hard, life is rough. But we can do it with hope, knowing that Christ will return. See, this question Paul um, preempts then in chapter 5 is, when is this going to happen? Because, yeah, we, we want that time. We, we can't wait for Jesus to return. But when's this going to happen? The answer is, we don't know when. So many people across history, so many people have tried to predict the future. When the end times will come, the apocalypse will come. I, I, you Google this, and there's actually a, a Wikipedia page dedicated to this. The dates of the end times, uh, the end of the world. And there's this long list from, you know, from ye- centuries and centuries ago of different people who've come up with different dates and different theories. And the world still hasn't ended yet. There was a movie made about it. I don't know if you, you were alive in 2009. Um, but in 2009, there was a movie released called 2012, which was about the end of the world. And that was based on the, the Mayan calendar. It, today's 2022, 10 years later. We're still alive. It's not the end of the world yet. We don't know when it's going to happen. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Right? Like a thief in the night, these, these metaphors. Thief in the night, like, like labor pains on a pregnant woman. They're sudden, aren't they? They're often unexpected events. I mean, if your house was to be broken into, and unfortunately it has happened to, to people, uh, if your house is broken into, it, the robber, the thief, isn't going to call you up and schedule an appointment. Right? Hey, I'm, I'm coming over on Thursday night. Just, just be aware. 
No, they come like a sneak attack, right? Uh, and, and no one expects it. Uh, the same goes for a woman in labor. Uh, you know, some of our, our moms are probably experienced. You, you might know the due date, but you don't know exactly when, what minute, an hour the labor will start. You might, you know, you might bring a towel out with you because you don't want to leave a mess. But you just don't know when labor's going to start, when your water's going to break. Paul says, in those moments, when, you, when you're just chilling, when you're just, you know, vibe, yeah, things are going well, peace and safety. It's in those moments, well, destruction's going to come. Again, I don't want to exhaust this you know, example of the, the pandemic, but that came suddenly, didn't it? Remember 2020, you know, a couple of years ago? Remember how everyone was really excited? Oh, you know, new decade, 2020, I'm going to start, you know, new decade, new me, whatever. <laughs> and churches and organizations were like, oh, 2020 vision, 2020 vision of growth and flourishing. Then 2020 brought about heartache and pain and stress instead. And no one expected the world to be put on pause for so long. We're still feeling the, the, the re- recovering from the after effects, aren't we? I mean, the cost of, of travel and the way we, uh, we, we, everything is more expensive and the way we still have to isolate ourselves sometimes. But while we may not know when, we can live in a way with confidence, can't we, as Christians? We belong to the day, it says. We belong to the day of the Lord. And that day will be a day of celebration. It won't surprise us like a thief where we're left feeling just a bit uncomfortable that someone's been through our stuff. No, it'll surprise us like a, like a surprise birthday party. You know, and you walk and you go, oh, this is awesome. I'm having so much fun. I don't like surprise birthdays. But you know, that, that feeling where it's actually a good thing and you're surprised. You know, it's, it's a time of celebration and joy. Read verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light children of the day we do not belong to the night or to the darkness so then let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep sleep at night those who get drunk get drunk at night so paul's chucking out these contrasts the children a christian are children of light children of day sober awake as opposed to the non-believer he's saying you know those are are asleep and and in the dark and the night and and drunk and and that sort of thing not you know using those terms just to say that you know unaware not knowing what's going on around them, in the dark, that sort of thing. That's that language he's using, this metaphorical, common, commonly used as well in the Bible to describe Christians who follow God. We're children of God, which means we're children. I think it's, I've got it on the screen as well, John chapter 12, Jesus actually says it. Believe, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. You know, these phrases are to show what Christians are going to be, uh, that Christians do stand out, that we are different to the world around us. That language of, of darkness and drunkness, drunkenness and sleeping is just to say that they're not aware of Jesus. The people around us aren't awake to that, not actively preparing for Jesus to return. And that should make sense to us because if you're not a believer, you don't believe in Jesus, so why would you be preparing for Jesus to come back anyways? But Paul's using this language for the Christian. He's speaking to us to contrast who we are before God. Because in verse 8 he says this, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Friends, as Christians, we anticipate Jesus' return, that all things will be made new, that heaven is our destiny, that we belong to the day where our sin and our pain and our hurt and our tears will all be wiped away with the coming of our King. If we indeed belong to that day, how do we live today? 
He encouraged us to live sober and alert, preparing our hearts, preparing our lives, putting faith, love, and hope on in, t- in anticipation of our King. And when we hear those words, it's active, isn't it? They're active words. Put it on. Live like this. It's not passive. Just because we're secure that our fate is heaven with God and everything will be good, that doesn't mean we live today wastefully and recklessly either. I'm going to go to heaven, so I'm going to quit my job, be lazy, run, run away from all my responsibilities, stop adulting, because who, who needs to do that? That's, that's too hard. Quietly quit life, right? Nothing in life matters. We're going to die anyways. I'm going to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying, is it? We don't know when that day will come, so we live faithfully in light of that eternal promise we have. We want to pursue integrity, be a person who is selfless, be a person of love, be a person who's unashamed of Jesus because God has gifted us, gifted us this life and he calls us to be alert, sober, with faith, love and hope. You know, this isn't new. Paul said this already in chapter one. He sees them doing this already. In chapter one, I've got it on the screen as well, verse three. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in chapter one of the same letter. He's already said this. He's already acknowledged this about this church. They're living out that faith, love, and hope. And so what he's saying in chapter 5, towards the end of the letter, is keep going. Keep putting on that faith, love, and hope. Wear it as a breastplate. Wear it as, as a helmet. The picture is one of battle, isn't it? Prepare yourself for battle with faith, love, and hope. The Christian, the Christian lives in a world where, where we often feel like it is a battle, doesn't it? A world that's opposed to Jesus. We live in a body stained by sin where we have to fight temptation, stand firm in our faith when it's easy to run away or fall away. Put on faith, love, and hope in light of eternity. Pursue a life, live for Jesus in light of eternity. You have a peace and safety that won't ever be taken away from you so that you can stand firm, even against the odds. Even when you're in the office and people might want to mock you, people, your friends might diss you for being a Christian. Put on faith, love, and hope, even when a Christian might mean, even, even when that might mean for the Christian that everything in this temporary life might be taken away. Because you hold on to something far greater than anything this world could offer. The future hope of Christ returning. The salvation of our souls and eternal life. We get to live with Jesus forever. You see, when we have put our faith in Christ, his death and his resurrection, everything changes. Our lives are no longer living for the temporary. We can live with joy. We can live with peace, with contentment, with security. Because we hold on to a future hope. And if that future hope is what we believe, then that shapes how we live today, doesn't it? Friends, let me ask you, do you live that way? Has this truth about the future taken root in your heart? Have you grasped the reality for yourself? Because today should reflect it. How you live today should reflect that. The, the Christian hope shapes the way I speak to my friends and my family. The Christian hope shapes the way I approach my work. It shapes the way I parent my kids. It shapes the way I handle and view money and possession. It shapes the way I see sex, the way I see my identities. It shapes the way I view others around me. It even humbles my view about myself. We need to see if faith, love, and hope is what the Christian life looks like. If if that's what the Christian life looks like, it actually changes everything. Because what's at the center now of our lives? It's no longer me. It's no longer myself. It's Christ, isn't it? The King who died for me to give me that future hope. The one who will return in glory. The one who I serve, who I love, who I worship. The one who I'll have the privilege and blessing to be with, to be welcomed home by, 
So I will show grace and love to those around me. So I will repent of my sin and seek to obey God. So I will be uh, generous and hospitable with what I have and what I possess. So I will be that person of integrity and secure in myself because God knows me and has saved me. I don't live, up, I don't live to, to, to keep up with the Joneses. I don't live to impress others around me. I don't need to. I belong to the day. And when hardships come and the grief hits me hard, when sorrow sweeps through and my heart feels the weight of, of brokenness and sin and that heavy burden, I can lift my eyes to the cross and see the one that, that, one, that day, that one day I'll rise with Christ and everything will be restored. Everything will be okay because you and I belong to that day. Amen. You know, friends, Paul, say, Paul says it twice in this section. Encourage each other with these words. Chapter 4, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 11. Build each other up. Point each other to Jesus. You know, when you see or hear from another brother or sister in Christ, they're struggling. When things are hard and you're walking with them through grief, encourage them with these words. Christ will return. Things will be okay. Yes, grieve alongside one another, but grieve with hope. Through the thick and thin in life, whether we're cruising on mountaintops and we feel good, life is good, you're healthy, happy, or when we're in the valleys and feeling like we're on struggle street and there's a dark cloud hanging about, let's still keep pointing each other to that hope, that future hope we have, encouraging each other to keep on going. As good or as bad as things might seem in this temporary life, there's something even greater to come. Live in light of eternity. I'll be honest with you, there have been a lot of days that have been dark for me. Uh, I recall one night in my early 20s, um, you know, I was struggling with depression pretty bad then. It hit, hit me really hard. This one night, uh, I just I hated my life. It's the easiest way to say it. And I had a friend, uh, she was a, a Christian sister of mine. She called me up, and she called me up just to speak truth to me. She reminded me of who I am before God, that I'm not a disappointment, that I'm not a failure, that I'm not unloved, all the things, all the lies that I was telling myself. She spoke the scriptures to me. She reminded me of all the ways that God sees me in Jesus. And because of all these truths, things will be okay. I needed to hear that. I needed encouragement to keep on, I still need to hear that, to keep on going. Because one day there will be a day where I'll be with my Lord Jesus and everything will be made right. And perhaps, I don't know where you're at right now, you might need to hear that truth as well. You might be struggling. But you can hold on to this future hope. Perhaps you're not struggling and you're not feeling this way, but someone else around you might be. Let me encourage you, walk with them. Remind them that this isn't all that there is. Point them to that future hope we have. Encourage one another. And as we do that, we're living this out, aren't we? This whole faith, love and hope thing. While we can go to to famous doctors like Dr. Mark Hyman and get onto this pig and die and look after our bodies, preserve and prolong our lives, we cannot prevent death, can we? As good as that all is, let's also use this life that we have, this temporary life that we've been gifted with, with hands wide open, living with this faithfulness and integrity, knowing that what we have is temporary, but the future we hold on to will be glorious. It'll be amazing. Jesus is coming back. He'll bring us home to God. So let's live in anticipation of that day, the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that because of Jesus, we belong to the day. 
Help us to live in light of that truth, that future hope, reflecting a life that has experienced your grace and love. Help us to be a people of faithfulness and integrity, enduring and persevering well so that the world can know your name and so we can bring that message that there is so much more to look forward to than in this short temporary life. Help us to be that people of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.